Good evening, everyone. It was so fun having people here last week. Um, it wasn't packed out, but there was this energy in the room. Tonight we have six of us here, and they are incredible, six people that are here tonight. Um, but it was, it was just such a cool feeling for a second to feel like things were coming back. And uh, things have been delayed a little bit. But I have hope. I have a lot of hope. And I am excited to share with you guys tonight what I believe God has put on my heart. And in fact, this sermon was actually came about in staff meeting because of uh, Amy, uh, my wife, who said uh, we should do something about Father's Day because it's Father's Day. It wasn't the plan, but she uh, she changed the plan and um, grateful for her leadership and her insight uh, because today is is Father's Day. And, and we do want to we do want to speak to that. Our, our scripture tonight is from Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, uh, typically called the prodigal son, uh, sometimes called the story of two sons. Tim Keller famously uh, calls it the prodigal God story. But here we are, Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. This is from the NIV. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when his when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, happy Father's Day to you all again. Uh, this is a day of celebration. Uh, I felt celebrated by my family and celebrating uh, other fathers in our family as well, as well as in our community. We also know it's a day of loss. Um, I just came from a memorial, a Zoom memorial, and I know some have lost their fathers. Uh, some have lost their children as a father. And hopefully, though, in the midst of all of this, Father's Day, what will be awakened in all of us is our longing, our longing for a good, good father, for the arms of a father who would truly embrace us. We are in our Reimagine series, and we've been talking this month about reimagining family, and tonight it's Reimagine Family, the hospitality of fatherhood. We had a little discussion beforehand with some of the uh, staff here and the volunteers, just asking them, when you think of the word hospitality, do you think of a gender role? And uh, we had different answers, but for me growing up in the South uh, and, and many other reasons uh, in my household, hospitality was typically a thing that I associated with women and typically a thing that I associated with my mom and kind of getting the house ready for parties and welcoming people and all the food and everything else that went into that. But uh, so for me, thinking about hospitality uh, and the gift of hospitality as a father uh, was something for me that was refreshing and something for me that was reimagining. So I don't know if that exactly will connect with you as far as a reimagining. But for me, it's always important to reimagine the heart of God. Because it's so often that I misunderstand the heart of God. But that word hospitality is where we get our word hospital. That's the, you know, the, the root of the word hospitality. And, and the, the root of that word in Latin is a place to stay. And that's where we uh, got the story of, of the Good Samaritan, that he showed hospitality, that he gave uh, this man who was beaten up on the side of the road, he gave him a place to stay. He cared for him. And that was the story we told. Uh, it's been two or three weeks now, but this whole month we've been teaching out of the book of Luke. And we've been talking about, um, we're talking about inheritance, this family word inheritance. And in this section right here in Luke 15, we're essentially, we've had three stories about things being lost and things being found. And you can imagine the connection here with inheritance, things being lost and things being found. And as we get to this story tonight, again, we find ourselves talking about inheritance. These two sons dealing with this question of inheritance. And here's the outline for tonight. Number one, the famine in the land. Number two, the feast with the father. And number three, the songs of the found. This is a quote I want to read to you. There, there is a famine in your nation today. You can't understand it. Every city you have in your country today is a little powder keg. Riots breaking out day in and day out. And America, you wonder what is wrong. You must be told, America, that a riot is the language of the unheard. Now, some of you have seen that uh, quote recently. Uh, it's from Martin Luther King. 
Uh, it was uh, from 1966. In September, he was at uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church. What you may not know is that that was in the context of a sermon called The Prodigal Son. And he was preaching on the text that I've been preaching and I'm preaching here on tonight. And he goes on to say this. He says, there is a famine in this country, a moral and spiritual famine, because somewhere America strayed away from home. But I can hear the voice of God saying, America, it isn't too late if you will only come home to yourself. Your cities are exploding today, America, but just come to yourself. You, 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 you know, America, I have enough and to spare if you'll follow my spirit to help you solve your problem. You come back home, America. Now, if you get to your priorities right, and you'll do that, America, if you come home, you can end poverty. You won't have dilapidated Harlem in any city. You'll not have a west side and a south side of slums in Chicago in any city because you'll be at home and home will get things right for you. And everybody will begin to love everybody and live as one big happy family. And Jesus is saying to America, come home. And I would go further to say that King is speaking here to the majority culture when he is talking to America and he's saying something has gone awry. Something has gone awry. Something is off in the land of liberty where her shores were supposed to welcome the tired masses for them to come and make a new home. There is a famine in the land. There is a famine in the land. In verses 11 through 19, that's the first section where we're going to deal with this, this subject of the famine in the land. And essentially what we're going to be talking about is a disembodied individualism that has plagued this country. In verse 11, we see this story unfolding as Jesus says there were two sons. We have other stories in the scriptures that talk about two sons, Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob. It is also a reflection back to the listeners of this story. We have to go back to uh, Luke chapter 15, the very beginning there, verses 1 and 2, where it says, The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And as Jesus is going to tell the story of these two sons, there's going to be the younger irreligious son, if you want to call him the rebellious son, he is going to be aligned or he's going to represent the, uh, the, the sinners and the tax collectors who are here listening to this story. And then you have the older brother, the older son who is staying at home, and he is going to be aligned with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And it goes on to say in verse 12, the younger one says to the father, Give me my inheritance now. Open your hands, open, open your hands to the wealth that you have and give your life to me now. This is something one is to receive at the death of a parent, not when the parent is living and he wants it now and the father concedes. I don't know anybody, any of my friends that they have asked their their parents for their inheritance. Now, if, if you're one of those people, please let me know how that worked out for you. But this guy does it. The father concedes. And then in verse 13, it says, he gathers his stuff and he sets off for a distant country. 
Now, you can't really see it in, in the English here, but in the Greek, the word for gathering is the same word that one would gather things at the home to get ready for a party. As we're going to see later, the, the father is going to gather, the hospitality of the father's heart. He's going to gather things to welcome his son home. But this son is gathering things for who? He's gathering the things that aren't even his, the things that were his father, for himself to go off to a distant land. So he gathers himself, his, his stuff, he goes off, and the younger son, it says, squanders his wealth in wild living. And this is where we get the word in, in Greek for the word prodigal, that he is extravagantly wasteful, uh, meaning he's going to spread everything that he has around so thinly, if you think about it as seed, he's going to spread his seed out so thinly all around everywhere that there's not going to be any crop. There's not going to be anywhere for him to go and gather the fruit of his investment. He has just done it. Every, he's done it everywhere. He's squandered his wealth. He's squandered his inheritance. In verse 14, after he spends everything, there is a famine. There was a famine in him and there was a famine in the land. Both are starving, the land and the people. And this is what I hope you can hear right now in this point about there being a famine in the land. Is that the younger son, he wanted the things of his father without the heart of his father. He wanted the things of his father without being connected to the heart of his father. This, by the way, is also the problem of the older son. Uh, and we'll get into that uh, later on. But they both have the same issue. And friends, this is the disembodiment of our culture here in America. It's not just a problem we have in America. Other cultures have it. But I'm speaking to you here in this country. And I want to talk to you about three things. The greed the consumerism and the individualism. And the greed and the consumerism, you can often say, are very uh, synonymous with one another, but I want to make a different point with each. And the first is, with the greed of our culture, that it would be so strong that it would blind us to enslave other people for our own gain. And it is still happening today. The consumerism of our culture is so strong that it blinds us to thinking that we can take and take and take from the earth, that we can take from the land without any environmental long-term consequences. And the individualism of our culture, to think that we can take and take from each other, that we can use each other without there ever being a consequence. And friends, there is a famine in the land. Verse 15, the young son is so hungry he is so vulnerable, he will now come close to a stranger and he'll become dependent on this stranger. He will say, I will become your indentured servant. This is how vulnerable he is. Someone he does not know. And in his hunger, he will find himself in his famine out in the field, not being fed. He'll be feeding pigs. He'll be feeding swine. And he is so hungry, he wants their food. Have you been there? I have. Not just when I was 14 before giving my life to Christ, but I've been there last week. Trying to make sense of everything that was going on inside of me. That I know that famine, not as something that happened a long time ago, but 
that is something ongoing, something I continue to wrestle with in my own life. And in verse 16 and 17, no one is giving him anything to eat. He's there at the bottom of the barrel, face down on the floor, the place we always want to avoid. Close to the earth, close to our humanness. And that's the place he comes to his senses. And he says, man, I got to get home. What might God be calling you to look at in your life? Where is it of those three things I mentioned, the greed, the consumerism, the individualism that he might be calling you to look at in your own life? Because I know he's stirring all three of them in me. I posted a uh, little thing on Facebook today of my friend Peter Brown, and he is a wild man. Uh, Peter was in the ocean in Taiwan with his water buffalo, and his son was on a longboard surfboard. His son's probably five years old. He had a rope tied to the water buffalo, and his son was holding on to the other end of the rope, and he was trying to get his water buffalo to do toe and surfing with his son. Um, Peter is my same friend who was lost at sea. He was lost at sea for uh, 10 days, 700 miles uh, west, or, yeah, west of Hawaii is where their boat was flipped and capsized, and they never, ever thought they were going to be found. But I was able to share that with you guys, and then right outside of that window, I got a text on a Sunday night uh, right after church was over, and I stood up and I told you guys, hey, my friend Peter, he's been found. And everybody in the uh, courtyard out here erupted in cheers because my friend Peter had been found. And we were able to raise money for his uh, family to fly from Taiwan over to Hawaii to spend some time with him. And we were able to put him up in Amy's cousin's house who lives in, on the big island there. And I was able to connect with an old friend of mine who uh, took him surfing throughout the island while he was there. And the other day, our, our friends from high school, we gathered on Zoom for Peter to be able to retell us this story. And I stayed on with Peter for about two hours after he retold the story. And I asked him, Peter, what was it like to be found and then see all the posts on Facebook? To see all the people, while you were lost at sea for those 10 days, to see all the chatter that was happening on Facebook, all the people who were trying to spread the word about you being lost and doing anything they could in their power for you to be found. And he said, Keith, man, that was an emotional time for me, that I wept when I saw all the posts. Because here's what happens. When you're lost, when you're lost out at sea in the darkness of night, you think you have been forgotten. You begin to question if anybody really cares. Which really you begin to question your value and your worth in this world. We come to verse 20 and 24. It is time for a feast with the Father. The Son who has been lost, who's been alone in the dark, who's been out there in the famine, who has wondered if anybody actually cares. He's going to come home to the feast with the Father, to the wholeness of coming home, coming home to himself, to the land, to his community, 
to his God. In verse 20, while he was still a long way off, while the sun was still a long way off, he was still distant. He hadn't apologized. He hadn't confessed. The father saw him. And this isn't just like he saw him in the sense of, I see the floor right here. No, it's a, it's a seeing in which he's been longing to see. He's been looking for his son, longing for his son to see him again. Just like we were longing to see our friend Peter again, that he saw him. He'd been looking. And then it says he was filled with compassion. He's filled with compassion. While the sun has an empty belly, while the sun is hungry, while he has been in the fields of famine, in the land of famine, the Father has a heart full of compassion. The longing full heart of the Father longs to feed his son, to dress him, to restore his dignity and worth, to restore his embodiment, his wholeness. And he runs to the son, he falls upon his son, and it says in the Greek that he kisses him affectionately on the neck. It means he continually is just kissing, kissing, covering him with affection. And then in verse 21, in the midst of this compassion, the son brings his wholeness, he brings his whole self, and he says to his father, I'm not Long, I am no longer worthy to be your son. This is how he feels for the choices he's made. He knows that his father has seen that he has squandered everything he has as he's coming back and he's tattered and he's torn and he's hungry. He's wasted it all. But he's able to come back and to show this to his father. And he's received with compassion. And so he shows even more of himself to his father. There's that word in there, I am no longer worthy to be your son. And this is the point that I really want you to hear under this segment of the feast of the Father. Why does God want us to enjoy his feast? Why does he bring out the royal robe? Why does he put the ring on the finger? Why does he put sandals on our feet? Why does he dress us up and kill the fatted calf? Why does he have the music, the dancing, the celebration? Why? The same reason that we were posting so frantically on Facebook for our friend Peter. Because he wants to restore our sense of dignity and worth. He wants to restore that. But he wants to tell us that he never lost it for us. That he has always seen us as worthy. The son didn't confess before the father said, okay, now that you've confessed, now you've been restored. Before the son even confesses, the father is burying him in kisses, covering him up. He's unleashing the hospitality of the heart of the father, clothing him like royalty, feeding him like royalty, partying with him like royalty. And the father declares over the son, You've never lost your worth to me. You've always been my beloved. Come home, come close, come into the home, come into the party, and you will see. If we are operating in a way in this world today in which we are saying, I must prove my worth and value to the world. I must prove my worth and value to my family. 
I must prove my worth and value to this church. I must prove my worth and value in my job. I must prove my worth and value to myself, to my God. You're living in such a way that is contradictory to what God is declaring here to you. That your worth is intrinsic. You cannot earn it. You cannot compromise it. It is intrinsic. And if we are living that way, we will abuse each other and ourselves. God wants us to come back and sit at the feast and celebrate at the feast. Jesus keeps seeing these people who've been on the outside, the sinners and the tax collectors, the people who have left home, and they are finding home again, and they're finding home with him, and they're finding home with it themselves. But as the religious said of him, he welcomes sinners and tax collectors, and he eats with them, and they didn't say it as a compliment. It is the religious who have stayed home but who seem to have missed the heart of the Father. Without the heart, there is no joy. There is no music. There is no song. And it takes us to our last section, verses 25 to 32, the songs of being found. This is the church of grace. This is the church of Jesus Christ and the invitation to join in the singing. In verse 25 the older brother out in the field. Just like the younger brother out in the field. The, uh, the older, younger brother, when he's out in the field, he is starving. There's a famine in the land. This older brother, too, will reveal that he actually is starving as well out in the field. And then he hears this music coming from the house. And in verse 28, the older brother becomes angry. Why is there a party happening? And he says in verse 29, to his father, who's come outside of the house, to who's come outside of the party. He says, all these years, I've been slaving for you, obeying you. You owe me. And what does he owe him? What does he owe him? Where does this entitlement come from? He says, and you gave me nothing. Remember the problem of the younger son? That he wanted the things of the Father without the heart of the Father. Without being close to the heart of the Father. It's the same issue we find here for the religious man. That he wanted the things of his Father without knowing the heart of his Father. In verse 30, not only is he distant from the heart of his Father, but he's also distant from his own heart. That's not just the father's son who has come home. That is also his brother. His brother has come home and he's out bitter in the field. Where is the heart of this brother? And in verse 31, in his graciousness, in his hospitality, even to the religious, even to the cold hearted, what does God say to the older son? He calls him my son. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But there is one thing that this older son has not known. And that is the heart of his father. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of Jesus. 
Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he has been found. This is the hospitality at the heart of the Father, at the heart of Jesus, that Jesus will give up his robe. Jesus will give up his clothes so that we can be clothed. Jesus will give up his life here on this earth so that we have a future home here on this earth, so that we can build here on this earth, so that we can have community here on this earth, so that we can be connected with the earth and care for the way it was to be cared for. This is the work of the church. That we care for each other. That we declare this worth over every single person as he has declared at the feast over this younger son. And that he has taught us, Jesus has taught us to sing the songs even in the dark. And we are in a dark time here in this country in a way It seems chaotic with coronavirus, with racial injustice issues that are being brought up into our uh, eyes, that we are seeing things maybe for the first time, some of us. But the invitation, as Martin Luther King pointed out at the beginning, is not really an invitation just for America. It's an invitation for us to come home. And that when we come home to the Father's Feast, when we come home to the music and dancing that's happening over us, it begins to change, transform something in us, that the greed begins to die, that the consumerism begins to die, that the individualism begins to die, and we begin to reimagine a new way with our Savior, a way in which there's actually an abundance A way in which we don't have to uh, use other people. We actually can love other people. That he has given us that invitation. As he has done that for us. Let us pray.